Jehovah Sidkinu. Say it with me. Sidkinu. You now know Hebrew. Congratulations. It only took me three hours. No, I'm just kidding. We have been this summer in a series looking at the names of God, which ascribe the characteristics or attributes of God that either comes through personal connections where God showed up in a person's life and they adorned him with a name, or maybe God gave himself that name so that it had significance to the group of people forevermore. And so this week, we want to talk about Jehovah Sidkenu, which means the Lord, our righteousness. We're going we're gonna to start in Jeremiah chapter 23. We're going to go Old Testament. We'll hit some New Testament along the same time. If you want to join me on Romans 3, we'll get there at, at some point this morning. But we really want to see that the true righteousness that we need is not our own personal self-righteousness. It's to have that right standing. It's to be right with God. We need Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord, our righteousness. And so as we get ready this morning, get ready, because some of us, it's really going to step on some toes. And the reason I know that is because I've already rolled over mine with one of those machines that flatten out asphalt. You know what that is? You know, just, it just feels like a steamroller coming over because what it challenges us is who and where are we right? Are we right in our own eyes or do I need to be right in God's eyes? Do I need to be right in his spirit and in his truth and in his way? So this morning, if I offend you, it's okay. We're all in this together. And the grace of God is going to get us through where we need to be together. Amen? Join me in Jeremiah 23. We're going to start in verse 1. Jeremiah says this. He says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. God speaking to Jeremiah here. This is the Lord's declaration. Therefore, this is what God, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, will say about the shepherds who tend to my people. You have scattered my flock. You've banished them. You have not attended to them. And I'm, about to, uh, and, and I'm about to attend to you because of all your evil acts. This is the Lord's declaration. I will gather the remnant of my flock from the lands that I have banished them, and I will return them to their grazing land. They will once again become fruitful and numerous. And I will raise up shepherds over them who will tend to them, and they will no longer be afraid or discouraged, nor will any of them be missing. This is also the Lord's declaration. In verse 5, stay with me. The days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will rise up a righteous branch of David, and he will reign wisely as a king and administrator of justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. This is the name that he will be called, the Lord, our righteousness. Right out of the gate, you need to know that when a, when a messianic prophecy says that the branch of David, who that means is Jesus Christ. That means in Jeremiah's time, when the children of Israel had just continuously, continuously moved away from God, they continued to rebel. They continued to do things that were not of his spirit and his desire. They were not following the commandments. They had no desire to actually look to God as king. God is saying, I am disappointed with you, and I have banished you. I have put you in exile because Jeremiah is coming between the Assyrian Empire and the Babylonian Empire. So for 40 years, Jeremiah has to deal with this over and over again. Can you imagine if Jeremiah gets that phone call from God and it's year 39? And he's like, God, I really don't want to take this call. Imagine some spiritual caller ID where it's like, Jeremiah, it's God. And you're like, oh, not again. 
But in this particular moment, when Jeremiah answers the call, the, the tone is different. God is still angry. God is still judging the people that should be leading his people into prosperity, should be leading his people into God's goodness. Instead, they are continuously driving them away, looking at their own things and their own sins and their own happiness, not worrying about anything of godliness. And God says, enough's enough. You're still going to be here, but there's going to come a day when I'm going to raise up the righteous branch of David, and he's going to change the game, and he's going to change the path. And in many ways, and in every way for us, he's going to change the future. That's the phone call I want to take. That's the phone call with God that I'm looking forward to picking up going, that sounds great. Today would be a great day for that to happen. But yet it doesn't happen in Jeremiah's time for a few more generations. But now God gives them this promise that if you will continuously look at me, if you will follow my path, and you will do the things that I say to do, then I will bring this person, his name will be Jehovah Sidkenu, and he will be the Lord, our righteousness. The first declaration of God is that Jesus is the righteousness that we all need. For some of you, you're in a situation right now in your lifetime, you're going through it right now, where you don't feel like you're anywhere closer to God than you were any time in the past. You feel like the more I try to get close to God, the further away I feel. The moment I try to do the, the things that really will draw me closer, I tend to do just the opposite and I push further away. I need something different in my life. And God is saying, my declaration is Jesus is the righteousness that you need. Jesus is the right way, the right path, the right plan. Much like David did in Psalm 23, he said, look, the Lord leads me on the righteous path. And so we need to get to a place where the Lord and his righteousness are leading us. And we are not interpreting what righteousness is for ourselves. The declaration of God is that Jesus is the, is the righteousness that we all need. I love what he says in verse 5 and 6. I'm going to paraphrase just a little bit. The days are coming. And if nothing else, you need to be encouraged. The day is coming for you. And you need to be ready because the day is coming when I will raise up a righteous branch for David. And for us, that branch has already come and he's still here. His name is Jesus. I will raise up this righteous branch. He will reign as king and administer justice and righteousness. And his name will be called the Lord our righteousness. Friends, we got a lot of people around us. We talk about it all the time. If you've listened to me preach a few times, you know we got a lot of noise around us screaming for us to pay attention to them. But what we need to do is stop listening to the noise and listen to the voice of Jesus because Jesus is the only righteousness. He's the only way. He's the only path that makes sense. You can try as much as you want. You can try anything you want on your own, and it won't get you anywhere unless you choose Jesus. Unless you choose Jesus. So why is it that the righteousness of Jesus is important to us? Because without a genuine and true relationship with God through Jesus Christ, the best that we can do is left to our own self-righteousness. And the only place that that's going to get us is to hell. Let me say that again, just in case you missed that. If the only thing that we are is left to our own self-righteousness, the only place that that is going to get us is to hell. So if you've been trying to go it your way, I would throw on the emergency brake and go in the opposite direction. And we talk about July 4th being a day of freedom, a day of freedom. The, the thing that really gets me about July 4th 
is there was a strong declaration of independence saying, we are not going to do the same thing the same way as you say we are. And I think some of us need to make this kind of an kind of Independence Day moment. This needs to be our Independence Day from Satan saying, we are not going your path anymore. We're going to go through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Because he, Satan, cannot get us anywhere other than a front seat into his kingdom. But Jesus says, I want to bring you to my kingdom through my righteousness. And I promise you, given the choice between heaven and hell, 100% of this room would choose heaven. And the only way we can do that is through Jesus Christ. You may be in here and say, I don't need to be saved. Maybe just God needs to help me. I'll take care of it. But God, God, you just help me. Same attitude, same situation, same destination. You will bust wide open the gates of hell. And you might even do it with a smile on your face. We can't have it that way. If you water down view of your sin problem, we've got a problem. If sin's not a big deal, that's not a big one. Culture does it all the time. I see people in the church do it all the time. I see all my celebrity friends, my influence on social media. I saw my family do it. I saw my brother. I saw everybody. Just because they did it doesn't make it right. If Jesus doesn't say it, you better question it. If Jesus said it, you better do it. That's how we become righteous like Jesus. We do what he says. We put ourselves in right standing, but not right standing in our own opinions, right standing in what the word of God says. For, Je- for Jehovah to become Sidkinu in our lives, then we need to become like him, not more like ourselves. None of us should ever be okay in our own self-righteousness. After all, the word righteous has become kind of a religious cliche in some ways. Here we're trying to kind of put it back on the tracks where it's supposed to be. Lamest definition might be simply right standing with God. But righteousness is coming from being in a right relationship with the Lord. We want to be in a whole, pure relationship with God the Father. And we know that this can only happen through total faith and dependence with Jesus Christ. Let me pause right here just one second and just tell you, if we do not, Tim asked us this question, do we have full confidence in our faith in Jesus Christ? That was the question before us last Sunday when he was preaching. I'm echoing that again, saying, do you have full confidence and you have full faith in your relationship with Jesus? Because if there's even one degree of doubt, it'll take you further than you ever wanted to go, keep you longer than you wanted to stay, and cost you more than you wanted to pay. And you'll wake up one day and go, How did I get here? It only takes one degree of doubt in your relationship with Jesus to take you off course. There's a big difference between my self-righteousness and God's righteousness. Biblically speaking, godly righteousness is about being in that right standing, not my self-righteousness, not my own way. But when I compromise sinful behaviors with culture and I compromise sinful behaviors, passing them off is no big deal then I have moved away from godly righteousness and I've moved into self-righteousness. You can't be the litmus test for what is and what is not right. Only Jesus should be that for us. And for some of us, see, this is where the toes get on there. If my opinion is I'm right and you're all wrong and Jesus hadn't said a word, we may all be wrong. 
Jesus needs to be the one. Tony Evans, Dr. Tony Evans, a pastor that I really enjoy listening to. If you listen to him to a crowd, you can always tell where he is because his voice, his voice is so distinct. And listening to a message that he preached on a similar topic, he said this. When we become comfortable in spiritual wrongness or our own personal self-righteousness, when we become comfortable with our wrongness, it's a clear sign that we are no longer hungry for God's righteousness. I have to ask you the question, and I need you not to give a response just yet, but I need you to pray through what your response is going to be. And the question is, are you comfortable in your own wrongness? Are there things that you hope nobody else finds out about? And you are trying to stay in the dark, in the corner, hidden as much as possible. Friends, let me tell you something. When God's righteousness comes onto the scene, darkness cannot hide it any longer. God not only wants to see it, he wants to deal with it. He wants to get rid of it in your life so that you can be in right standing with him. You cannot hide from the righteousness of God. So instead of trying to hide it, we need to embrace it. The righteousness that Jesus brings to us, Jesus paid for. So I need you to understand, not only does God declare that Jesus is the righteousness, but Jesus' righteousness paid the price for our sins. Some of us in this morning, you know, again, we're trying to hide some things. We're trying to, trying to get away with a few things that nobody else sees. And as long as they see the church me, I'm okay. But if they saw the real me, they would judge me. There ain't a soul in here that, sh- that, that doesn't get judged at any, port, port, at any point in their life, any part of their life. We don't need to be judgmental because we're all in the same boat. Even the tiniest of sins makes us distant from God. Tiniest of sins makes us distant from God. But when God rose up the righteous branch of David, Jesus comes into the world, and we can fast forward into the Old Testament or into the New Testament. Jesus comes and he bears the weight of the cross, and every drop of blood paid for the sins of, of man, past, present, future. It's all taken care of. So not only is the, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ the righteousness we need, he's paid the price. It didn't come without a cost. It's not like we just went to the shelf and like, I'll get a free t-shirt and I'll put it on. I must have the righteousness of, of Jesus. That shirt came with a cost. That righteousness came with a heavy penalty. Romans 3, 21 through 26 says this. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets, or the Old Testament, is what Paul is referring to. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 24 and 25, key verses here. They are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented him as a mercy seat or a place of atonement, and by his blood, through his blood, through faith, it demonstrated his righteousness. Because in his restraint, because of that blood, God passed over the sins that are previously committed. God presented to him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and justify the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. The moment of the cross. Are we familiar with it? You familiar with it? I'll try not to pop myself here. The moment of the cross is one of the greatest spiritual transactions. I don't know if sometimes you recognize it. 
I got to be honest, the first time I heard this, uh, this account, it kind of a light bulb moment. Because like, yeah, I knew that, but man, I didn't know that. And the, 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 the transaction goes like this. Imagine that Jesus is standing next to me, okay? Jesus is debiting from his life all his righteousness, and he's placing it in my account. And God is debiting all the sins out of my life, and on the cross, he put them on Jesus. This is the great spiritual transaction. The things that I should have paid for are now out of my account, and I don't have to worry about them anymore. And the things that Jesus is have been taken out of his account and placed on my life and in your life, and we are now free because of the grace, the mercy, and the love that Jesus has given to us. Friends, we can't cheapen the cross. That cannot be our way to do this. We can't take this great transaction that Jesus has given to us where we took away, he takes away all the sins of mankind. He takes away your sins personally. And then we go compromise and act like sin's not a big deal. Sin is a big deal because Jesus took it all. You think Passion of the Christ is a, is a, is a gory movie to watch. You should have seen it in reality. There's no movie that could have really described the moment of this transaction. And yet Jesus did it, not because he had to, because he wanted to. He wanted you to be with God. He wanted you to be righteous. He wanted you to have eternity and not spend it in hell. So not only is Jesus our righteousness, but I promise you, he's paid it in full so that we can choose it. We can embrace it. We can hunger and thirst after it. This is the great spiritual transaction. When we get into the Days of Atonement, when it takes place, notice in verse 25, because in his restraint God passed over the sins previously committed. That's some good news right there. That means everything that I've done, everything that I'm going to do, everything that I'm doing currently, because of the blood of Jesus, God looks and goes, that's been paid. Now, for some of you, that's, that's really good news because you might say, well, my sin's worse than his. Let me just tell you something. Whether I told a white liar made, I'd committed capital murder, sin's a sin. And we're all covered in the blood. But will you embrace it and choose Jesus? That is the question before us. I love Romans 5, 6. It's not going to be on the screen, but I want to share it with you. When we were unable to help ourselves... At the right time, Christ died for us, although we were living against God. You know, kind of like Jeremiah and his experience. I mean, again, you imagine the phone call after phone call. and like, God, I really don't want to tell these people any more bad news. I really don't want to have to condemn them anymore. Can you just do something different? And at the right time, Jeremiah picks up the phone. God says, I'm going to do something different. And in your life, what Paul is saying here, when you couldn't do it at just the right time, Jesus took it on for you. Man, that's good news. Because he loves you and he cares for you. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18, very familiar. I use it quite a bit because I love it and I think it's true. Therefore, anyone in Christ is a new creation. The old is past, the new is come. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us ministry of reconciliation. 
what Jesus did is not only to give you new life, but if you notice in what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, he also paid for your friends, paid for your family, your coworkers, your neighbors. And what we experience for ourselves, they should be able to experience as well. If you remember last week, Tim was talking about healing. And when you have been healed, then you need to tell somebody. When God does something in your life miraculous, you need to share it with somebody. Aaron comes back after camp, and he's telling you, look, when I got back, I got this phone call that four people, four students committed their life to Christ. I can't wait till those four people get back, whether they're at this campus or our sister campus in Mount Juliet, and they begin to share their story because what you're going to see is I was dead, but I went to camp, and I found Jesus, and now I have life, and I'm going to live it. And for some of us, that's the new life. You looking for a difference maker in your life? I'm going to question where is Jesus in your life? If you're still bored and you're still mad and you're still kind of indecisive and you're still living this negativity, then I'm checking your Jesus. How much Jesus do you really want in your life? How much Jesus do you really have? And I've got to be honest with you, that's what I love about the accountability that I have with some men in our church and I have with my life group and friends in the church. They're welcome to ask me that question anytime. How's my relationship with Jesus? Because I believe that Jesus is the difference maker for us. How much Jesus do you really want in your life? It's easy to embrace righteousness of God on a Sunday. It's easy to embrace the righteousness of God in a life group or a Bible study. And let's be honest, it's completely easy to, to embrace the righteousness of Jesus when we have any kind of event at church. But what happens when you walk away from that event? How much do you want it? How much do you care about it? How much do you appreciate it? The Bible gives us a couple of scriptures. I want to share them with you. Deuteronomy 6.25. Not on the screen. Just listen. Righteousness will be ours if we are careful to follow every one of these commands before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. Righteousness is ours if we're willing to follow the commands of God. Boy, that's a little tough for some of us. We like to control. See, again, this is where the steamroller is coming over. This isn't about Scott's version. It's about Jesus' version. It's about God's version. And if I truly want the righteousness of God, then I have to embrace his commands. I have to follow his ways, and I cannot waver. can't change. I can't go back and forth between me and him. It's only got to be God. The righteousness can be ours if we follow every command of the Lord. It's a challenge. Second one is Psalm 15, 1 and 2. Psalmist writes, Lord, who can dwell in your tent? Who can be in your presence? That's what he's asking. Who can live on your holy mountain? The response? The one who lives blamelessly, practices righteousness, and acknowledges the truth in his heart. He tile these with Matthew 5, which says, Hunger and thirst after righteousness. Basically, in, in just a short phrase, whatever God says, do that. Whatever Jesus says, do that. Whatever the Bible says, do that. Whatever you say, don't do that. Simple as that. We need to hunger and thirst for God's righteousness. We need to be filled. 
So look at back Matthew 5, 6. It says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Any of you feel empty this morning? Don't raise your hand. Just, just think to yourself. Do any of you feel empty? Check how much you, how much you hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God today. Because Jesus said it, and we believe here at the fellowship, if Jesus said it, he meant it. If you hunger and thirst after my righteousness, you will be filled. You know, one of the best things, i got to just tell a quick story here. One of the best things about my family being gone is the house is quiet. And, and not because my family makes too much noise, because it challenges me to make sure I don't fill the noise with something else. And I've been on a little, little mini retreat, and, and please just hear me. I'm not saying this to pat myself on the back. I'm just experiencing what we've been preaching and studying all week long. And the house got quiet, and I picked up my quiet times from a men's group. Picked up a couple books that friends had given to me, and I started to read. And these last two days have been so rich with connection with God. Because what I have found is God saying, I wish we would have done this six months ago. I wish we would have done this a year ago. But here's what I want to tell you. Here's what I want to show you. And maybe one day God will reveal something that I'm supposed to share with you. But when I hunger and thirst after God's righteousness, God not only speaks, but I can feel it. And when we're absent from quiet time, when we're absent from his presence, I'm not hungering and thirsting. I've become comfortable in my spiritual wrongness. We are to thirst and hunger after God's word. Really, truly, if we do that, something changes inside of us. I'm not a scientist, so I can't exactly describe to you how DNA works. But spiritually speaking, I'm going to make some connections here, that our spiritual DNA, when we hunger and thirst after God, we begin to change. We begin to be respectful like Jesus. We begin to be thoughtful like Jesus. We begin to be disciplined like Jesus. We begin to be generous and self-controlled and hardworking, and we become more honest, and we become straightforward, and we become more loyal just like Jesus. We become trustworthy, we become caring, we become compassionate, and we become wise like Jesus. But if you're sitting there thinking, I'm, I'm already that, let me caution you. No, you're not. You are like that to you. What I'm saying is we need to adopt the mentality that we are like Jesus. Because my love and care has boundaries. Jesus's does not. And Jesus needs to teach me to expand my boundaries so that it's limitless, just like his. It's a lifelong learning process. So be cautious that you don't say, it's, I'm already like that. I don't have to worry about that one. I can check that one off the list. No, you keep it on the list and you keep studying. You continuously be a learner. Because remember, folks, it's not about you. It's about Jesus Jesus didn't come to just give us a taste of his attributes, a taste of his character, a taste of his salvation. Jesus came to give us the whole buffet. Some of you look at me and you're like, man, you've, you've been to a few buffets. Yeah, I had to stop going to them they were so good. But spiritually speaking, I want the whole buffet of Jesus. I want all of it. And he said, you can, daily, get in my word, speak, pray, journal, Talk to others about Jesus. The holiness of God can only accept purity. 
So every day we learn to be more like Jesus. We try to get 1% better to become more like Jesus. We kind of do everything that we can just to be more like Jesus. And not only will we see and hear about the righteousness of God, we'll begin to experience it for ourselves. So as we close today, I want to I'm I'm read you, recite you a prayer that was written by our other campus pastor, Lynn Taylor. And I was, I was reading this prayer. And it just really speaks to all of us. And I want to challenge us with this prayer because I think it's a great way for us just to begin the response time by just praying, like, God, let's make sure that we're right, that we're in the right spot, that everything about us, God, is where it needs to be. So if you would, close your eyes and let's pray together. Father, I admit that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory even short of your purity and your justice and your integrity and your mercy and your love. God, I have no right to stand in your presence except through the grace that your son Jesus gives through the offering of love on the cross. So God, I thank you for drawing me back and my friends back so that, because we were so far away. Help me and help all of us to hunger and thirst for your righteousness on this earth that all men and women might return to you and give you glory through the love and power and mercy and strength of your son, Jesus. In whose name we pray, amen.